is Truth Talks. Welcome back, everyone, to the Truth Talks podcast. I'm your host, Buddy Boone. Thanks for tuning in today. With me in studio is the uh, fourth foreteller, <laughs> not the fourth teller, the foreteller of uh, Bellcroft Bible Church. His name is Pastor Matt White. How you doing today, sir? Yeah, I don't know. I think I am the fourth teller, right? <laughs> I'm not the foretell. I'm not foretelling the future. Wait. Oh, fourth. I'm sorry. I got it backwards. We're, 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 I did get it backwards. Yeah. This is the heretical <laughs> podcast. I'm just going to call you. the future. I'm just going to call you slave from now on. How about that? Just, just make it easy. Just make it easy. I'm just glad we could clarify that right now because yeah. I'm not I'm not foretelling anything. Yeah, he's not the foreteller. He's the fourth teller. Not a prophet nor the son of a prophet. Yeah, just 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 the slave of Belcroft Bible Church, the servant. Uh, one of the one of the servants, the there elder, one of the elders uh, among elders of, of the church. How about that? That was good. Yeah, it's it's way too much. Uh, yeah, I got a lot of questions. How about that? And there you I, go. I need some information. So that's what my brain is on right now. Okay. And we're going to get back into the conversation that we had last time uh, concerning uh, government. Last time, uh, if you did not listen, you should go back and listen to that. Uh, we talked about national versus local government. Uh, we talked about also Pastor James Coates of Grace Life Church in Canada. Mm-hmm. Is it Alberta? Edmonton. Edmonton, Canada. Um, and uh, praying his, for him. Yeah, his praying family. for him. And then also uh, the persecution that uh, will uh, uh, inevitably come, uh, not because we see it, but because we see it in Scripture. It's already been foretold God promised. that it's going to be there. So, um, But today we're going to go into, and I want to talk and ask a few questions about the history. Uh, you mentioned it in your sermon, uh, the one that not everybody saw, but I did see it <laughs> and I did hear it. Um, we talked about, uh, you talked about uh, Luther, Zwingli, and Calvin. Yeah. Um, and you had them on something specific about um, uh their kind of like uh, like phase of yeah. the church. Yeah. Can you kind of go into it and tell me what that was talking about? Yeah, so um, this when we're talking about this area of, of church and state, which is, you know, massive, uh, especially the implications right now for our context and our culture, actually our world, because it's, it's global without question. Um, the issue is far greater than most people realize, and it becomes really... Uh, visible when you realize for the last 1700 years this issue of the relationship between the church and state has been a primary catalyst for much persecution Mm -hmm. throughout history 1700 years you know now the church has been persecuted from inception because jesus said that would happen Um, and the first 300 years were some of the worst but what happened in the first 300 years when the church was persecuted was really you could you could uh, label it state sponsored persecution mm-hmm. because it really was was driven uh, driven by the emperors of Rome and uh, and it happened at local levels and a and a for lack of a better word a a, a federal level there were really ten um, you can trace this out in history there were really ten specific uh, vicious persecutions driven by Rome which is interesting to trace that out. Uh, some of the worst, they were all bad, but some of the worst came at the end of the, uh, at the end and uh, at the beginning of the fourth century, really, at the end of Diocletian's reign. He was probably persecuted Christians, probably the most of the emperors of Rome, um, even probably more than Nero, which is really oh, interesting. That's, that's crazy. Yeah, Diocletian killed so many and, and was vile. And, uh, and, and, and there's, and there's different reasons for this, but the pendulum really swung, swung, excuse me, West Virginia coming out. <laughs> swagging, swagging pendulum. But it really swung big time, right? After Diocletian, because he brought out some of the worst, if not the worst persecution, then Constantine comes in I mean, it's, it's a whole war and, and the struggle for leadership, but eventually Constantine becomes the leader, and at 313, he sends out the Edict of Mulan, which then sets the sets the paradigm for Christianity becoming the state religion of Rome, which then, of course, is not really a good thing, though on surface it looks like it, but it is good in this way. It, it pretty much ended all of that state-sponsored persecution of Christians because now Christianity is the state religion. Mm. So, so it, it, it's amazing... In, I mean, in just a few years, you had people being 
mutilated, literally mutilated, eyes being gouged out, arms being cut off, of course, burned at the stake, all kinds of mutilations and persecutions for their faith. And now Constantine comes in, and now Christianity is the religion that uh, the state will promote, which in turn then brings out more persecution. Right. Again, so it's that vicious reality. So, yeah, so, but from, so you could say from 313, but really doesn't become the state religion until about 380, but it it, it is unofficially for sure. And uh, so what happens is for the next 1700 years, i.e. from then till now, mm-hmm. there really has been an ongoing battle that has never stopped. It's it's kind of gone silent in phases in history, but it's never stopped. And it's this battle of the authority jurisdiction between the church and state. It's never stopped. It continues. And it, we're seeing it again now in our day, mm-hmm. and uh, which is fascinating historically when you watch it. And it's raged in different ways. And you see this come up. You see it come up through uh, what I call the state-run church. That's what you see with Constantine that started it. That then breeds uh, the beginnings of the Roman church and uh, where the state is running the church, where the state is dictating to the church what your beliefs are, all of these things, and, and pretty wild. But then it reverses, and the church then runs the state. And you have that as well. Mm-hmm. And you have that multiple times in history in multiple veins. Um, I mean, the Crusades, the Crusades are interesting. You have about 200 plus years of just massive massacres under the, under the auspice of holy wars, right? Mm. And it was the church. It was the church that was driving that because the church was running the state. And it's interesting, like the um, the the uh, the orders of the Knights Templar mm-hmm. and the Knights of Columbus, and all these all these religious orders that were created, which were were which were all uh, um, military wings of the church. That's what they were, right? They were, I mean, they were real knights, and they were they were all part of the Crusades, and they were created by the church to bring about their uh, their their wars to reclaim the lands that not all, not every crusade, but most of them to reclaim the lands that the Muslims had taken. Right. Okay. I and gotta, so, I, go, I, so go ahead. Church, I got a squirrel moment for us. So the church, the church is using the sword, right? Which the church never had the responsibility or the, excuse me, the jurisdiction to use the sword, but the church is, and it's using it because it's controlling the state. And I mean, it's just this, it's just this massive mess of what the Bible is clear, which should be separated, the church and state, but the church and state have always been in this flux of the state runs the church, the church runs the state, or this weird mix of some sort of like like Plato where they kind of come together and it's just melting together and it, 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 you can't really tell who's running who, but they're all just kind of their jurisdictions, their lanes of responsibility are crossing and and when we even see that in our culture, we even see that now, and and so uh, so that has never stopped, and so we're dealing with it now, right? Where the state's trying to run the church, literally. I mean, they literally are trying to run the church. Of course, we still, and globally, we still have state churches. You know, Sweden, Finland, Norway, um, England. Where you know they have state churches, right? Of course, China. You got the state church, and so you see that. You even see that on an international level in that paradigm, but uh, even in our culture in our in our land right now we're we're seeing it not on an official sense we don't have a state church but in an unofficial sense i mean <laughs> you know uh, the government's trying to run the church are you kidding me yeah. i mean when they start telling you how you can worship when you can worship who mm-hmm. can worship that's them running the church which is of course ludicrous and so uh, so yeah so this is again historically this is not uncommon historically this should be clear to us, but since we are such poor students of history, this shocks us. It's a problem. What is going on? It's like, this is what's been going on. We shouldn't be surprised. We should be better equipped for this, but we're not, which is a sad reality. And I put that feet, I put that at the feet of pastors, most of all. So, so you see this really, it, it hits ahead at the Reformation. So, mm-hmm. the Reformation is interesting and, and it's awesome on so many levels. Um, because 
It wasn't just, it was a hermeneutical issue. It was a justification issue, but it was also part of this where the Roman Catholic Church was running everything and they were Mm -hmm. killing everybody that didn't agree with them, right? Because they're running the state, right? The state was was part of under their control. And I mean, it was it was a mess. This is a mess. And so when the Reformation happens, and again, Martin Luther is being hunted by the church, right, to kill him, mm-hmm. right? And uh, why? Because he was considered a heretic. Again, the Bible is clear. The church does not have the authority of the sword. Yeah. They can't take life. And yet the church has been doing that. The church, I'm using that in air quote, loosely, historically, mm-hmm. right? We know for much of history, what is labeled as the church is not the church. It's the Roman Catholic Church. And so there's always a remnant of true believers, right? There was always mm-hmm. a true church. Yet, you know, historically, we use that term and we're speaking of the organized church, which was often not the church. And um, question about that. Wasn't Henry, King Henry, like his hands were tied in that scenario? Because it was really the Pope that was the one that was pushing uh, uh, to to get Calvin and to burn Calvin uh, and to hang him or whatever they were. Luther, you mean? Luther, yeah. yeah. I mean. So, no, no, yeah. There was, again, that we were in, you're in a zone there. You're in a zone there where where the, where the church is running the state. So, yeah, there, there was, there was, there was some conflict there, but the Pope ultimately ultimately had the final say, right, for, for political reasons, no doubt. And so, again, why? Because he was running the state. You can go back to Constantine. It was the other way around, where the state was running the church. Right. Yeah, and, so you, and it changes. It flips multiple times. When the, when, the, when, the Roman, uh, when the Roman Empire, the western region of the Roman Empire, because it splits in western and eastern, when the western part falls in, like, 476, then the the actual governmental side, the political side, gets very weak. But the church side of the Western church in Rome grows very strong, and that's what sets the stage for Roman Catholicism, which doesn't get its full form until about another thousand years later in the 1200s. But that in 476 is when the popes started standing up, and they were both spiritual, using that in air quotes, and political, governmental, military leaders all at the same time. And that's when they started to gain a lot of popularity and a lot of a lot of strength. And that's when the church then started running the state. And I mean, again, you can see how it just goes back and forth. And then there's persecutions galore that happen. Mm-hmm. And then in the seventh century, in the 600s, that's when Islam comes on the scene. And Islam brings something with them that, that, uh, in some ways, changed everything. They brought holy war. They brought this reality of forcing religion through the force of the sword. And, I mean, Islam doesn't even, they don't even try to hide it, right? That's just part of their system, Hmm. right? So they were the ones who really put that on the map. Now, it was happening, right? But it wasn't happening like it happens after that. So they, they were the ones that said, no, you force religion down people's throat by killing them. They either submit or they die, mm. and that's that's again. It's it even though it's a false religion, it's a religion, and they're using the sword to coerce people, right? Coercive power by the sword and belief. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, that's always a joke because you get false believers, and we understand that. However, so the the Roman Church looks at that and says, "Hey, we can do the same. Mm. We can we can. Hey, we'll fight fire with fire." Right. And that's what they did. And you can see that then grow. And that's where the Crusades eventually are a byproduct of that. And so I'm jumping all over history here because we're talking about 1,700 years worth. Mm -hmm. But you can see this, again, what I said this morning, this reality of of the relationship between the church and state is no tangential topic. It is a massive issue that you have to have a right theology of government, a right theology of the church, ecclesiology, or else you're going to be in a mess when it when you're trying to figure out how do we do this. And that's why most guys don't know how to respond, struggle. I mean, it's difficult even for guys that know the Bible, but the guys that don't know the Bible and don't know history and don't, man, how would you know what to do? Well, that's why most guys don't. But in some ways, this is nothing new. It's really not. So coming out of the Reformation, I'll show you how, how, how crazy this is and, and how difficult it can be. So coming out of the Reformation, the Roman Catholic Church, of course, is using the sword. So then you have these guys like Martin Luther who come out and go, wait a minute, this, this isn't right. 
the church can't be using the sword. And so he's wrestling with this. I quoted a pretty awesome quote from him mm-hmm. in, in my sermon, uh, my last sermon. And, and yet he wrestled with this, as did Zwingli and, Luth- and, and Calvin. Why? Because they're com- they all are coming out of the Roman Catholic Church where this was the normal practice, right? Where the church and state were united in this, and the state became the disciplinary arm of the church, so the church was dealing with the spiritual things. The state was dealing with the physical punishment, the physical enforcement of the church. Mm-hmm. Well, again, that was how the Roman Catholic Church basically was living. And these guys really, in in different forms and fashions, embraced that. Mm-hmm. And that's what they did. Zwingli above all of them. And and Calvin as well in, in Geneva. But he, he would push back on it. But that was the way the system was run then. Right, and he even even got kicked out of Geneva uh, by the state at one point, and then got invited back, and and you can just see this 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 mixing and this mess, um, and that's why Calvin, uh, uh, Zwingli, and Luther are called magisterial reformers because they're called that for multiple reasons, but in part because they still use the magistrate to enforce. Right, they still involve the magistrate, the state the magistrates, right? They still involved them in the life and aspect of the church mm-hmm. and at differing levels among the three of them, of course. And um, But um, part of that was kind of like Luther in his view of communion, right? How he, did, he didn't take the, he didn't take uh, transubstantiation, the Roman Catholic view, but he had consubstantiation, which was a step further, but it, it, wasn't, it wasn't the full step that Zwingli took, right? Because coming out of the Reformation, you had these guys who had all this baggage, and they're like, oh, how do we do this now biblically? And, and sadly, they didn't go far enough sometimes. Mm-hmm. And that reality of the separation between the church and state was one of the areas that they didn't get right. Right now, they wrestled with it, and they definitely had things they said, and you can even see Calvin wrestling with it. But they never went far enough. As a matter of fact, it doesn't go far enough until the 1660s with a group called the Separatists, and those were the guys who really started to to nail it down and say, "No, this is not right." And of course, Bunyan and and, and you mentioned him earlier would be part of that. Because that's when England says, no, you can only preach from the prayer book, right? And they're like, no, right. no, we're not going to preach. We want to preach from the word. And they're like, no, you've got to be, you've got to, you've got to essentially register with us and you've got to preach from the prayer book. And they're like, no, no, we're, we're, we're not doing that. Sounds like France. Yeah, yeah, now, yeah. And, and so that's, that's in part, uh, not only, but in part why, you know, Bunyan ends up where, where he is and, and many others. And, and that sets the stage for the separatists who were separating themselves, saying, no, we're not going to do that. And, and that really was a, a massive blessing that started to move us forward. The Anabaptists, right? I mean, they were, they were being persecuted for baptism. They were, right, I got to slow you down. Yeah. Because there's some things that you need to, I think you need to define because you said them and you kind of went past them. And then we'll come back to the Anabaptists. <laughs> Go so, for it. Uh, so you said, you said consubstantiation versus transubstantiation. Yep. yep. Uh, what, is, what are they and what's the difference so between So transubstantiation is the Roman Catholic view of the Lord's Supper, which literally what the, what the Catholic priest does every time uh, they do Mass. And, um, and that is that uh, it's just a fancy word for trans- transforming transubstantiation meaning the substance transforming the substance transforming the substance the blood and the body or excuse me the bread and the wine become it transforms into into the blood and body of Christ which mm-hmm. is what roman catholics believe every time mass happens which is which is heretical mm-hmm. um, martin luther said no no that's not right he says it's consubstantiation and so what that means is it does not become the blood and the body of Christ, but the blood and body of Christ are around, together with, inside the elements. I think that was that's. I think that's a view that's even worse than transubstantiation. Well, it's confusing. Yeah. Literally, is what it is because it's like, what does that mean? If it does, right. it, it, how is that not the same thing as trans? Right. Mm-hmm. And he he art, he articulates and says, no, it's not because it doesn't change. It's still, but it's with and. And yeah, it gets really confusing. So, but yeah, that was, but you can see, right? You can see what I've, and I've taught this multiple times. You can see these guys wrestling 
with how do we change? How do we move? Or again, they're, and I give them all the benefit of the doubt. I give them all grace because I, I guarantee you if that was me, I would have done it 10 times worse than mm-hmm. any of them. So I'm not being critical here in a judgmental sense. I'm just being honest. Okay. Well, at least they were struggling with it. Yeah, at no, no. They were wrestling. They were wrestling. Yeah. And they, God bless them because we wouldn't be where we are. We're, right. we're not for the grace of God using those men. However, I think you just have to be honest because you said something, I think, in the last podcast. What do we learn from this? Well, we learn that they made a step, but they didn't make a big enough step, right? Mm-hmm. And that's, but praise the Lord, that's where other men came in and did that, right? right? And right. so, again, that's the purification and the protection of the body of Christ and the word of Christ, and God does that, and that's his sovereignty. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's what that means. Okay. And now, uh, as you progressed, you were talking about the Anabaptists. Uh, yeah. What... What did they believe? Like, who were they? You know, yeah. kind of give us a little bit of a Just background. means rebaptizer, baby. Baptize Re- again. Yeah, yeah. Anabaptist okay. means baptize again. And so these were these were students of Zwingli, actually. So this 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 will this will show you what I mean about the church and state. What is Zwingli's first name? Yeah, um, Heinrich. I think Heinrich uh, Zwingli. And okay. so so um, anyway, they were uh, they were students of his, mm-hmm. and um, and and. And he actually taught them that infant baptism was not biblical and that believer's baptism, and they embraced it. They saw it, and they're like, yeah. Well, then he, because, for political reasons, because of the pressure of the state, reverses reverses his position and says, no, again, political pressure from the state, no, you can't teach that. He reverses and says, no, no, believer's baptism isn't isn't biblical, it's infant baptism. And his students are like, no, no, that's not right. And so, and so it creates this massive problem. Well, they go on essentially to set the stage to be the Anabaptists, the ones who then denied infant baptism and, and taught what the Bible teaches is that all Christians, believing Christians, should be baptized, right? So they go on to practice it now. Well, then what happens, the state and the church label them as heretics. Heretics should be killed according to to that day, mm-hmm. and so what they do is they choose for them to die by being drowned, right? You want to be you want to be baptized? <laughs> oh they'll they'll goodness. baptize you, and that's what happened. They 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 drowned them. And, really? Oh yeah, yeah. And so again, that was that. Uh, you, this is the church and state saying, well, "Wait, what's going on here?" Right? This is how this all this all happened. This wasn't the state alone or the church alone. This is them together in this weird uh, this weird. Uh, partnership with that is totally unbiblical, and mm-hmm. so yeah, and so that's what happens. And 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 not all Anabaptists were created equal. Some were some. There were some that were heretics. There were some that were just fanatical. Then there were some that were more biblical. And so again, it's a it's a general uh, broad brush of category. But they weren't all created equal. But uh, but yeah, that's how we end up with with that, and uh, which is interesting. But it, it, I I didn't know. I thought I thought that Anabaptists were actually a denomination. No, it's a, it's a theological. America. It's a theological. Well, uh, I don't. There might be, but no, it's it's a theological category okay. of people. Right? It's it's kind of like uh, Arminians, right? And okay. Calvinists. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's just a theological category that kind of that kind of uh, compartmentalizes you according to a belief system, mm-hmm. right? And so the Anabaptists believed in believers' baptism. The Pado Baptists believed, or, excuse me, the Anabaptists believed in believers' baptism. The Pado uh, Baptists believed in infant baptism, right? And so that now, from what I understand, Pado Baptists is did that was that like original with the Presbyterians, or was that something? Like another, like a completely different area. Well, that came through pro- Roman Catholicism. Really? Oh yeah, because because infant baptism—that's the first rites of the church—is infant baptism. Which again, uh, okay. that that all—that's where that's where grace begins to get infused—is through mm-hmm. infant baptism as as a, as a child, and uh, and of course that all gets that's over over really a couple hundred years where that where the Roman Catholic seven sacraments begins to flesh itself out. But yeah, no, and. Uh, and yeah, that's you start to see some of that, some of that craziness even earlier before that, way before that. And but it it comes out in uh, 
I'm trying to remember, Fourth Lateran Council is where the seven sacraments really start to come out, which I think was in the 1100s. So I said the Roman Catholic Church, in the form that we know it, really took shape in in the Fourth Lateran Council in the 11, 1200s. Before that, it's morphing. It's one. It's it's an interesting study which I, I've done a little bit on because it fascinates me. Is trying to nail down, is trying to nail down the birth of the Roman Catholic Church. It's it's quite hard. It starts growing with uh, Pope Gregory the Great, which he's Pope uh, in I think in the 500s. He's really the first, or maybe the end of four, the 400s. He's he's really I I label him as the first pope, and uh, and uh, he wasn't labeled that at the time, but he does he is late in retrospect labeled that, and um, and he and he really begins to set that kind of paradigm, and it it, but even though that's the 500s, it doesn't really take shape as we know it until the 1200s, hmm. and it's in that what is that 700 year period that so much of the uh, heretical and wonky doctrine that we see Mariolatry and all of that stuff is really starting to form. What is that? It's the worship, worship of Mary, Mary idolatry, Uh, right? Where, where she's basically worshiped as a co Here's another one, co-redeemer, co-redemptress where she's a co-redeemer with Christ and all of that. You start to see all that develop over, over those years, and then it becomes solidified, canonized is the right word, in the Fourth Lateran Council and, and other councils that follow. But, yeah, and of course, and you can see then what spawns on the Reformation, because as these as these heretical false teachings start to then become solidified, written out in canon, and saying, no, this is what we believe, mm-hmm. well, then you got guys in the 1200s like John Wycliffe, who's like, no, this is wrong, mm-hmm. this is not right. And, and they start standing up, right? Because now the church is starting to make a stand and say, no, this is what we believe. And it's like, no, we don't believe that. That's not biblical. And so, mm-hmm. so it's interesting by them canonizing, by them uh, definitizing, if you will, making it definite what we believe, that actually becomes a catalyst for Reformation because now it's no longer ambiguous, even though they were doing this in practice mm-hmm. for a long time. And so you can even see how that creates a... A, an impetus for uh, for the Reformation, which started literally, it started brewing in the 1200s for sure. Hmm. And so, uh, but back to this issue of the church and state, mm-hmm. right? It is um, it is imperative. It is imperative that we understand the jurisdiction, the role of the state, and the role of the church. And if we don't get those right, then uh, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. And the Word of God is clear, you know, and uh, because. The government's going to push its bounds. It already is. Our government is outside of its lane, obviously, on many levels. But but how does the church respond to that? And the church needs to know, needs to know how to respond to that. Mm-hmm. The church needs to know that civil obedience is the ultimate desire and the ultimate plan and the ultimate pursuit of the church, where we obey God and man, right? That's how we're to live. But the church also needs to know there's going to be times when we can't obey man. Matter of fact, there's going to be times when we have to disobey man, but there's a way to do it. It's not enough to just throw up your arms and and flail around like a wild man. That's not going to work. There's a way to do it that honors the Lord, and the Bible shows us that on mm-hmm. m- multiple levels. And we've got to know that, and we've got to be equipped to do that. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's good. Um, I appreciate that. I also, get me started in church history, man. I just, I just uh, yeah, we, we we're definitely sorry. going back to that. I'm actually trying to remember my squirrel moment. I didn't write it down because <laughs> we had several one several yeah. squirrel moments yeah. within that. When I said uh, swang, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> swinging pendulum. It's too late, man. I preach multiple sermons, and then you bring me here and do the podcast, man. It's hard to say what's going to come out, man. That's uh. It, what you just said, just there, hard to say. This 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 one whole word. That's what happens when you when you in the South, you know, or and uh, in, in growing up in West Virginia, you start to put all these words together, and it's yeah. That yeah, I'm a got a lot of family from uh, family from uh, uh, Memphis, and uh, 
when you start to listen to what they actually are saying, it's it's, it's actually pretty beautiful. Yeah. It's, it's the way that they string words together yeah. to make one whole word. It's a whole new dialect. It's a whole new. It's it's, it's, a, it's a whole new language. Yep. Like it's a. I'm like this is this is actually uh, very interesting how they actually do that. So um, now one because here's the thing: you kept saying this word over and over again, and it was jurisdiction. Yes, yes. And with the jurisdiction of the church, yep. and then the jurisdiction of state, the state. Yep. Um, during this time frame of yep. the 1700 years. Yep. Um, since the lines were blurred. Yes. Uh. What was supposed to be, because uh, I would imagine like people like Constantine, I, I would yeah. imagine that he had some good intentions because of the fact that he probably wanted to spread the gospel or if he was actually saved, he wanted people to understand that this was a better way, a, a better way to live. I would imagine that you have like good intentions, but using the state to, um, I would say to, to to convict people uh, is probably not obviously not the best way to go about that. Yeah, um, I t- I think we can't judge his heart because obviously. it was in three hundreds, right? Mm-hmm. However, his- all speculation. Exactly, history itself, though, I think an honest view of history <clears throat> says Constantine very very likely did not have good intentions. That it was all a political thing. fascinating how true this is again this is history so he was again there was there was essentially a group of four men that were fighting for the throne fighting for who was going to rule at the time Constantine was one of them and it was in a pretty vicious battle that as he was going into the battle um, he has this vision where he sees the cross and that is essentially he sees that and takes that as a sign of Christianity. Really? Yeah, and that's really what drives it all. So I'm, oh my goodness. Yeah. So now you can start to see why. Yeah. It's all never mind. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a whole lot of speculation and and innuendo with that, and and then, um, he yeah he doesn't even get baptized as a Christian until he almost dies and he was still involved in pagan worship. I mean, there's just a lot of, there's a lot of stuff in the history where you're like, yeah, this pretty obviously was a, was a political move. Matter of fact, um, again, you get me started on history, man, church history. And so here's, what's interesting. Mm-hmm. So, so after the edict of Mulan, then you have uh, a couple of very important councils that take place, mm-hmm. church councils, right? And you can imagine why, because they've been persecuted for so long and, Everybody's coming together, and it's in this first council where you have the idea of of Christ not being the Son of God, in the sense of deity, where he was created, created to be the Son of God. So he he is not God in the flesh. That happens. That happens right then. It's like three seventeen when the council comes together, and that is what we now know as Arianism. Arianism, which is modern-day Jehovah's Witnesses, right, who deny the deity of Christ. And so it literally is. I mean, it is Jehovah's Witnesses before Jehovah's Witnesses. That council was this close. Matter of fact, it took years this close to embracing that as the doctrine of the church. And it was literally one man. There were a couple others, but it was one man that stood up in the midst of all this. His name was Athanasius. Athanasius stands up and says, no, this is utterly wrong, mm-hmm. right? And, uh, and uh, well, to make a long story short, what happens is f- pretty much for the rest of his life, he's on the run from the government who wants to kill him mm-hmm. because they did embrace Arianism, and it went back and forth. They would embrace Arianism, and then they wouldn't, and then they would embrace, and, const- and then Athanasius would be safe to come out from hiding because... They're, they're not embracing it, and then they would embrace it, and, and it's this weird, and Constantine was a part of that in the beginning, and uh, it's just crazy. So I just bring that in to say, yeah, I'm, we're not going to give him that much benefit of the doubt because it's very, no matter why he did it, obviously it was political, but no matter why he did it, um, it, it had disastrous effects. It ended persecution, that I will give. 
But what it did was it immediately brings into, again, air quotes, the church, massive amounts of unbelievers. Because now everybody becomes a Christian Mm -hmm. because it's a state religion. So if you're a Roman citizen, now you're a Christian because it's a state religion. And that then sets the stage really for what we have now, where it's just this menagerie of everybody's a Christian and everybody, and it just sets the stage for Roman Catholicism because it's the it's the it's the Church of Rome, it's the it's the belief of Rome, and that just sets the stage, and it's uh, is just a mess. And then of course, then they start to persecute anybody who doesn't become this. Even again, like Athanasius was labeled a heretic, even though he was the faithful one who was following the scriptures because he was defending the deity of Christ, but they were hunting him to kill him because he wasn't embracing the state religion, which said Christ wasn't Mm. the Son of God. So you can start to see the mess, right? And really, if the church followed Romans 13 and realized, well, we we don't have the power of the sword, then you wouldn't have had so many of these things. And that the state has the sword, but the state has the sword not as a ministry of the church, but... As a, as a ministry of common grace to keep order in society, mm-hmm. which is so that man can fulfill, right, his God-given demands to fill the earth and prosper and fulfill all that God's called him to do in Genesis 1 and 2. I mean, that's the point of government. That's the point. That's why we need protection and order so that we can be all that God's want us to be and do all that God's called us to do. Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, yeah, you can start to see the mess that's there, and, and it continues today in varying degrees. And and in many ways, it's only going to get worse. Mm-hmm. I mean, we know that. We know that as government gets more wicked and the church gets more, more filled with compromise. So, wow. Uh, one, I didn't know that's that's where the uh, the uh, Jehovah's Witnesses came from. Oh yeah, um, which, absolutely. Which makes which a lot is of fascinating. Sense. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, and and eventually, uh, Arian, Arius, and all of his followers, the Arians, you know, they got labeled as heretics, and rightfully so. Mm-hmm. Um, because that belief is utterly disastrous. It destroys the gospel because it destroys Christ. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, um, but it's amazing in church that we were that close, really? that close. He's holding up his fingers and saying it's basically extremely close. For yeah, him. I mean, again, and the only reason the only reason it didn't happen, the only reason it didn't happen is because God is sovereign. Right. And, and again, they weren't developing new doctrine, right? The church doesn't develop doctrine as it goes. It recognizes the doctrine that's already in the Bible, mm-hmm. right? And so so I don't want to mislead anybody in what we're saying, but that's happens multiple times in church history in these first 500 years. There are some pivotal councils that take place that uh, that were pretty massive in what, in what was defined and declared. And so that's a big one. Yeah. Um, so w- when it comes down to the, the, the church and, you know, you were in your sermon, you were saying that, uh, the church has, uh, one, the origin is different um, yes. when you go yes. going down your, your notes, uh, well, my notes that I took, uh, one, the origin is different. Uh, so, uh, the, the church was made, uh, specifically for, and you were also saying that the church was for the salvation of the folks, yep. uh, of, of people, um, versus, you know, the, the, the government is made for just keeping order yep. and, and doing that, uh, with this, with the sword, yep. uh, as, as the, uh, <laughs> the the uh, the word that you use was something towards the lines of uh uh, uh um help me out um is late that's what but, it is yeah <laughs> so so um we were looking at the differences between the church and the state so that we could then biblically define with certainty the jurisdictions of the church and state because mm-hmm. it, it, it that's the issue you've got to know and define and dis- and and delineate in the sense of be able to see and mark out what are the jurisdictions in the church and the state. You have to. Jurisdictions is, mm-hmm. is just means what 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 is the authority, the power, right? The um, uh, influence. Yeah, the influence that is rightfully, I think it's the key word, rightfully given to mm-hmm. that institution. There's only three institutions divinely established by God, the family, the government, and the church, and in that order, if you're going to do it chronologically. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty massive because there's only three. Three ins- institution being a, a organization with prerogatives and purposes specifically given by God himself, mm-hmm. right? And so that 
that defines this, establishes this as pretty important. And there's only three. There's only three, which means these are pretty massive. And all three of them are distinct and different. The family, totally different than the church and the state. The state, totally different than the family and the church. The church, totally different than both. So, so God is doing a work and has a work to do in each of these institutions that is all part of his ultimate plan. Of course, the church being the primary one because of what it does and what it promotes and even its eternal nature in that sense. But So um, when you're looking at the church and state, you've got to be able to understand what is their responsibility as given by God. Mm-hmm. If you don't understand that, then then you're in a world of hurt, right? Because mm-hmm. you're not going to know when, when that institution is in the right or in the wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, so you've got to be able to define that. So we, we were working on that. We looked at the similarities and there's three major ones, similarities between church and state. All of both of them are divine or sovereignly established by God. All of them purposely serve the plan plans of God. And all of them are ultimately accountable to God. Mm-hmm. Key phrase in all of that is to God, to God, to God. Right. All, all both of them, church and state answer to God. Church and state are all about God. That's mm-hmm. the point. So that is huge because it begins to delineate and define for us that one, God God is in control. He's in charge. God says, mm-hmm. meaning the state doesn't get to tell the church what to do, mm-hmm. and the church shouldn't tell the state what to do mm-hmm. in the sense of God has already told the state and the church what to do. And so he has the ultimate say. So they answer to him, not to one another. Now, that doesn't mean that the state can't come into the church if the church starts being the state. If the, sta- if the church starts pulling out the sword and starts hacking up people or even f- coercing people to repent and believe by sticking a gun to their head, mm-hmm. the state has every right to every come right. in and say, yep. you're nuts. Mm-hmm. You're outside your lane of jurisdiction, mm-hmm. right? Just as the church has every right to say when the state starts forcing their religion, whatever that is, down the throat of people like hey, we can commit murder, and it's not really murder because it's not a baby until it comes out of the womb. That's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. That's outside their jurisdiction. Ah, you know what? We don't like the way God defined marriage. Well, you know what? We're going to define it this way. They're outside their jurisdiction for sure. Mm-hmm. Ah, you know what? Gender isn't really defined by God. It's defined by the person who says what they want to be. Mm-hmm. Well, they're completely outside. Their, I mean, you can see how many times and ways in which this happens. And the church has every right and actually is required by God to confront and to uh, correct the state in their understanding because we have the word of God because that's what they're judged by. And we have the keys, i.e. the scriptures by which we do ministry. So so that those three similarities become very important because if they're understood correctly, what that does is that begins to establish clarity and conviction, biblical clarity and biblical conviction within the heart. And you cannot navigate this gauntlet without biblical clarity and biblical conviction. And this is one reason why the church is so ill-equipped for this, because the church does not have biblical clarity, and it does not have men leading it who are marked by biblical conviction. We are so weak. We are so frail in our understanding. That's why the church has responded so poorly to this. But it also does something else. God's in charge, but he's also, it also, obviously, to me, is really clear, and this point isn't made enough, because we minimize government so much in our, in our frustration with government. I think we've sinned way more than we realize, even as pastors, mm-hmm. by verbally condemning and criticizing in illegitimate ways, we minimize the importance of government. Remember, there's only three institutions. Right. And God has a plan for the institution. God established the institution, and he's going to judge it, which mm-hmm. means he cares about it, right? right? He mm-hmm. hasn't kicked it to the curb, so we shouldn't as well. Mm-hmm. And so we should speak about it, and we should show compassion for it and concern for it because God cares about it. And I think what that begins to instill within, within the church is a serious clarity from the scriptures, a serious conviction from the scriptures, but also a right compassion from the scriptures and a right concern from the scriptures. And when mm-hmm. you put those together, you have really the makings of Ephesians 4.15 that says what? In the church, we are to approach everything 
with truth and love. Mm -hmm. And that's how we have to approach this whole situation with undeniable truth, but with Christ-like love. And that is massive. So that's the similarities. But then to really define the jurisdictions, you've got to understand the differences. The differences come down to a difference in origin. Even though God established both the church and state, he establishes them differently. Mm -hmm. Their origination, how he originates, how how he um, um, inaugurates them is way different. Mm -hmm. The state is common grace. The state comes about through the through the reality and for the reality of common grace. Mm-hmm. You see that in Genesis nine, obviously without question. It's a ministry of common grace. This common grace of providing a platform of peace by which man can prosper by fulfilling what God has called him to do in Genesis one and two: have dominion, rule and reign, fill the earth. These are these are the creational mandates that we still do that we're commanded to do, mm-hmm. and we can't do them if if there's unchecked wickedness running rampant. That's what you see in Genesis 6 to 9. Mm -hmm. So the only reason why it's not going to end in a flood again is because God says, no, it didn't work that time because I let let man go his way and here we are. So now I'm going to, in my common grace, I'm going to establish a external force to restrain the wickedness of man so that man can now fulfill, he can run and do what I've called him to do. This is important. God doesn't establish government to bring order so that man can do whatever he wants, so that man can go live his own way. God brings order through government to restrain the wickedness of man so that man can serve God. Wow. That is, again, that's why I said, I made a point today, that government is religious to its core. Mm -hmm. Government does everything for God, by God, to God. They don't know that. They don't think that. But that is exactly what it's about. And that's another reason why when government oversteps its bounds, it's actually prohibiting prohibiting man from serving God, mm-hmm. from worshiping God, which is what God wants. So the origin shows that government is really a gift of common grace, and its ministry is that of common grace. But the origin of the church is special grace. Mm-hmm. It's, it's sovereign special grace whereby God originates, he instigates the church in a very special way with a very special, specific task. And so that's the origin, and then you go to the difference in object, which is purpose, and you see what I've already said, the purpose of the church and what it's supposed to do, the purpose, or excuse me, the purpose of the state, but the purpose of the church is different, right? It's not creating a platform of general peace for which humanity can prosper in the sense of fulfill the 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 dominion commands of, of the Lord, but it's very targeted, specific, where the people of God can preach the word of God so that more people of God can come in through the gospel. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the object. That's the purpose. So the, the, the government really deals in physical matters, right? Protection, order on earth, physical matters. Mm-hmm. The church really deals in spiritual matters, right? The, the, the issue with the state is all about order in relational shit, relations on structure and society. The church is all about order in spiritual things. The, the state is all about confronting evil people with the sword. The church is all about confronting the evil of man's heart. So you can see, church is individual, right? Mm-hmm. It's one person at a time, right? People get saved, not one family at a time, one person at a time. Government's really about societies, right. groups. You can see the difference. Mm-hmm. And you can see the broad general nature because that's how common grace works. It benefits everybody, the evil and the good, and so does governmental structure. The church is not that. Church isn't broad in general. It's very targeted, specific, and very particular to a specific group of people, the elect, mm-hmm. right? The chosen, the saved, whether they be saved yet or not, right? In the mm-hmm. sense of they will be saved, they will become part. And that's why we preach the gospel and go out to all men. So, yeah, you start to see that. That's the that's the order, the, the purpose. And then... Um, or the object. And then you go to the order, which is they both try to bring order. So the state tries to bring order into the disorder of society. And how do, how does it do that? Through the work of the sword, through mm-hmm. the ministry of the sword. The church tries to bring order into the disorder of individual hearts, right, mm-hmm. and lives. How does it do that? Through the ministry of the gospel, by mm-hmm. the preaching of the word. Mm-hmm. So you have the ministry of the sword, the state, and the ministry of the word, the scriptures, right? Church, you see massive difference. 
So the one has coercive power, i.e., I, I hold this gun to your to your head if you don't if you don't obey the law, mm-hmm. right? That's that's essentially we know that's the reality of government. I'm going to get thrown in jail or I'm going to die or whatever. I've got to obey. That's coercive power. Church doesn't do that. Church history did, yeah. but we don't do that, right? right? We have persuasive power. Mm-hmm. We preach the gospel. Mm-hmm. We bring the word of God's grace. That was the word I was thinking of, persuasive. Persuasive power, mm-hmm. right? We have the power of the preaching of the word, and that's persuasive power. Mm-hmm. That's uh, Second Second Timothy 4, 1 to 5, Second uh, Timothy 3, uh, 14 to 17, right? That's the word of God. That's the power of the keys of the kingdom given to the church is really the ministry of the scriptures. And that's why we do what we do. That's how we bring order to the spiritual side is through the spiritual weapons of warfare, Second Corinthians 10, 4 to 6, which is not the physical sword, but the spiritual sword of the spirit, mm-hmm. right? Ephesians, what is it, six seventeen? So, So this reality, you start to see massive differences which define the jurisdiction jurisdictions, right? And then the last difference we highlighted was the office. So when you look at the structure of government, it's very, in Scripture, it's very general. It's undefined because it's nebulous on so many ways. God never defines what form of government. He never defines what uh, uh, what offices in government, what people. It just... Because we would probably have a king versus oh, a president. Oh, we, we would have all kinds of things, right? Yeah. And, and you can see it doesn't matter what form it takes. Monarchy, theocracy it mm-hmm. comes in different forms even right. even in scripture and so uh because it's not about the form that's it's never been that for government Function. yeah it's never been yeah it's, it's exactly in government right mm-hmm. god is it's about the purpose right and and again it because it's general common grace man gets to work within that form and figure it out right and 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 that's fine and it works however with the church it's it's this part amazes me so you go all the way back all the way back thousands of years ago, right? Multiple thousands of years ago when you're going back to Genesis, nothing defined in, in, in Scripture as it pertains to form of government, right? However, when you look at the church, from the church's inception in Acts, from the very beginning, very detailed, very descriptive, very specific office, elder, deacon, elders lead, deacons, deacons serve, the elders, the church, period. And then it goes into all the qualifications, what the man must be, what the man must do, that it must be a man. I mean, mm-hmm. when you start looking at the very details given to the office in the church, you start to see very clearly God knows who he wants to run his church. And God has given all these specifics for the church so that it could be run the way he wants it, because Christ is the head of the church, and he gives these leaders to run his church. Very interesting, because what that starts to show is the very specific nature, the very narrow, specific nature of the jurisdiction of the church, and the very broad, uh, wide jurisdiction of the government, because it deals with humanity as, as a whole, where the church is dealing with the church as a whole, which is very specific in the, in the sphere of humanity. So you start to really then begin to define the jurisdictions of church and state, and then you define them, and once you define them, now you can see the lane at which the church must run, the lane in which the government must run, and then you start to understand what happens when the government comes over. Well, of course, now we've, we were pretty obvious what we got to do. We've, we've got to not follow them. We've got to get them out of our lane mm-hmm. or go away from them, right, by disobeying them, and, and of course, that's the reality that we're talking about. Yeah, this is this is all good stuff. And I think that the um, the application to that is, you know, what you were saying. And I just want to reiterate it to uh, the folks that are listening is to get a good biblical understanding and a good uh, uh, understanding, not just of what the church does, but also what the government, like yes. who they are, yes. what they're for, you know, what the purpose is. Yes. And, and, and there's multiple ways you can organize this. But again, in my mind, as a teacher, as a leader, as a shepherd, I try to always work things greater to lesser mm-hmm. and, um, and, and get it down to the bare minimum because it's, it's, it just is, I think it's, it's wise and helpful to think clearly and when you look at government and you trace this in Scripture, it really comes down to three primary purposes, if you will, or one by which three ways in which it's fulfilled, however you want to think about it. 
And it really is this. The jurisdiction comes down to, it comes down to protection, it comes down to punishment, and it comes down to promotion, right? You mm-hmm. could word this in any other way you wanted to, but it's the idea is clear. God, the idea of government is all about order. It's a coercive, it's a, coer- a, a providential means for coercively ordering society. That's really the d- biblical definition of government. It's providentially brought out by God to be a means of common grace by which society as a whole is ordered because we need order and God is a God of order and we got to have order to fulfill the creation commands, mandates. How does, how does society or how does government do that? One, by bringing about relative protection, right? Relative protection, which establishes peace, Mm-hmm. So that order can begin to flourish. So you got to have protection because, again, Genesis nine, it's all about the wickedness of man being unchecked. So you got to have you got to have a relative sense of protection so that order can begin to happen, so that peace can begin to reign um, on a relative sense. And how is that protection then brought about through punishment, the sword? Right. So you have then you have this coercive punishment. So you have uh, positive and negative laws and all of that. But really, what's it about? It's about promotion. It's about what Paul says in Romans 13, 4. Government is here for your good. It is about, it is about government providing platforms of promotion, i.e. level ground by which man can now run in the, in the lane that God has called him to run, which Genesis 1 and 2 is clear, have mm-hmm. dominion over the earth, worship, serve me, worship me, fulfill the earth, have family, all these things. These are This is the creation mandate that hasn't stopped. Mm-hmm. And this is how we live our life to the glory of God. This is what 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God. That's just a summary of what God says to Adam and Eve in Genesis 1 and 2. Right. But government is supposed to provide a general, broad order through protecting, through punishing, and promoting so that mankind can run in the worship and service of God. That's the jurisdiction. And now they have broad parameter for doing that, but that should be what they're doing. That's what it's all about. And um, church is very narrow. Church isn't about that. Church is about the the spreading of the gospel, Mm -hmm. the preaching of God's word, evangelism, discipleship, all of that. But it's all the ministry of the word, which encompasses all of that. But you can start to see the differences. Yeah. So... We got a break here um, because it's uh, we, we're we're over our time. The thing that I really want to talk about, and we got to pick this up next time, is this idea of America and the idea of America with the republic that we have. Yeah. Because as you're saying that, like you're saying that they have that purpose to protect and uh, to promote and to punish. I look at this famous sentence of that the fact that we are all created equal and that we would we should have the uh the the ability to have life liberty and the pursuit of happiness yeah you know this is not a conversation we need to have right now but maybe for later and maybe something that we can all think through is um how is it that our government is allowing us to have that liberty because, you know, that the liberty that we have, you know, is it liberty to do whatever we want mm-hmm. or is it liberty to do something yeah. inside of the confines of the law? Yeah. Um, and with the founding fathers uh, kind of uh, pushing everything in this, I wouldn't even say biblical, I would say spiritual direction. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, where where does all that land? That's just something for us to think about. Yeah, you know, no, something that's, for us to think that, about. Yeah, we, we could have fun with that. Yeah. So Before we go, let me just say that sure. one of the issues, well, there's many issues. Remember I said it's nuanced. Mm-hmm. So the government's going to push its, it, it's going to push its limits on every level and the church needs to be wise and ready. So the government's, when I, when I say the, I, I say, you know, part of the, object of the government is to protect right because that's what genesis 9 4 to 6 makes really clear right it's the whole point of capital punishment is to protect the image of god mm-hmm. uh and thus protect the the the, the people of god i.e humanity and so um 
but the problem is government being uh, uh, filled by sinful men is going to push that to the to the limit. Mm-hmm. Well, we're here to protect life, and so we're protecting life by locking you down, mm-hmm. right? So, so again, there's nuances. There's nuances, and that the church has to be wise enough to be able to thread that needle and go, no, no, no. Listen, you can't protect me from a pandemic. That's not the point, right? right? Only God can do that. But mm-hmm. listen, listen, don't miss it. Government always seeks to be God when mm. it stops serving God, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And you can see it, right? So much of what government does is almost acting like a God, mm-hmm. right? So when government somehow thinks they're going to protect us <laughs> from a pandemic, only God can do that, mm-hmm. right? Now, that doesn't mean government shouldn't respond to a pandemic and try to maintain order. Of course they should. That's mm-hmm. part of their job. But they're going to push it beyond that jurisdiction mm-hmm. and say, oh, you know, well, we can't have any cases of COVID before you're allowed to come back. That's, you can't, no one can do that. Yeah. No one, yeah. So you can see how you, you got to be wise enough to thread that needle and know what that means for state to have this jurisdiction and be careful that you don't fall into a trap. Well, they're just protecting life, you know, because the issue will come when what the, when, here, here, here you go, when government starts to forbid the church from doing what God has commanded or commands the church to do what God has forbidden, mm-hmm. now they're clearly within their bounds. And even, here's, here's the argument, even when they say, well, we're, we're, you know, they wouldn't say this because they don't care, but I'm playing devil, devil's advocate here. They say, well, we're just protecting life. Do, do not, I'm saying this for those listening, never let anybody pit God against God. Hmm. Because when the government says, well, hey, God wants us here to protect life, but they prohibit you from worshiping God. Now you have God against God. Well, that's a contradiction. God doesn't work that way. Right, right. So clearly something's wrong there. Mm-hmm. Well, the wrong is their definition of their jurisdiction has been pushed beyond the bounds of reality because clearly we just want to worship God. That's reality. So you can't, you start to see how that works. Mm-hmm. And that's the nuance that has, you need wisdom to say, no, 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 that's not right. You're not understanding that correctly. And that's why defining these jurisdictions clearly is helpful. Sorry, but oh, you're I, good. I thought you're good. that that was just an important nuance that needs to be clarified and mm-hmm. understood. And I would say that uh, I, I don't want to end it on this note, but I just want to add to this conversation. One of the things that I remember, my favorite president, President uh, Ronald Reagan, said, uh, "You, you, this is this is this. Is, you never want to hear these words. These are not words you want to hear." I am, we are the U.S. government, and we're here to help. <laughs> I was like, yep, that's, that's, uh, that's pretty much yeah. sums it all up, what you just said. Not sums it all up, but yeah. just really adds to the conversation. It's like the government playing God, and, and I've never thought of it that way. Oh, man. I'm, I'm hoping that that, is, that was something that was coming up in some of the, the, the next sermons. Yeah, because it Because really, if you look at it, it's like, in life, when we are doing what we're doing, when the government is doing what they're doing, that is contrary to scripture. We're really replacing God. Absolutely. Really Absolutely. putting ourselves in the place of God. So. Government does it all the time. Yeah. I've said that many times. It's been one of my frustrations as a pastor, as a leader, in looking how our, uh, our quote unquote air quotes, big air quotes, medical experts. <laughs> that's a whole nother podcast. But yeah. the medical experts have said repeatedly they know how to stop this virus they know how to you know they know how to control the virus and blah 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 obviously they don't mm-hmm. and and yet they speak as if they're god mm-hmm. right and you can see it you can hear it rather than what they've needed from the beginning and this is i think in part why we've were in this is because they wouldn't humble themselves and go to god mm-hmm. and government does that all the time mm-hmm. government fights to separate from god but they can't right because remember they're established by god they serve god and they are accountable to god but government constantly seeks to separate from god so that they can become god themselves mm. that's the heart of man yeah, that's reality. And so, yeah, that'll come up again in one of these upcoming sermons. Yeah. All right. We got to stop here. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's it's so many places that you can go here. But it's it, that's 
I, I think that that is the beauty of God's word. When you start to study it, you know, more and more it just starts to, uh, to, to, to just, it just starts to come alive because yeah. it's, it's the living and breathing, uh, word of God. So I'm, I'm definitely grateful for it. Um, grateful for you to, uh, great for you that you are, you know, taking it and, and, and making it, you know, uh, uh, rich for us that we, you know, want to go and, and, and search more uh, of the scriptures. So that's great. Thank you all for tuning in to the Truth, Talk, Truth Talks podcast. Uh, if you'd like to drop us a line, you can do so. 612-88-TRUTH is the uh, phone number there. Also, the Truth Talks podcast at gmail.com is our email. Feel free to uh, send us a message. Thank you all for tuning in. And now here is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The biblical gospel starts with God. Out of nothing, God made everything, including you and me, to bring himself much pleasure. His purpose for us as humanity was to love, obey, and enjoy him perfectly. Instead of this, man has sinned against our loving creator and acted in rebellion. Since God is good and just, he must punish sin that deserves eternal conscious punishment under God's wrath in hell. But God, being merciful, loving, and gracious, had a plan to punish sin, and so be a just judge, and yet forgive sinners and so display mercy by sending his own son, Jesus Christ, the co-equal and co-eternal son of God, to take on human flesh, fulfilling his perfect requirements in the place of sinners, loving, obeying, and enjoying him perfectly. Furthermore, Jesus bore the full wrath of God upon the cross, and he satisfied the eternal anger of God, standing in a place of sinners, though he was himself perfectly sinless. God showed his acceptance of Christ's sacrifice by raising Jesus from the dead after three days in the grave. Now Jesus commands everyone everywhere to repent, turn from their sin, and believe, trust in him. This is the glorious transaction. God then charges Christ's perfection to the sinner and no longer views him as an enemy, but instead an adopted son and daughters covered in the perfect righteousness of his son. We can now have peace with God and have eternal life with him forever. It's true for every person in every culture, in every place, in every language through all time. So our response to this good news is repentance and faith. Dear hearer, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Turn from your sins. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and this day be reconciled to God. Thanks for tuning in to this. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave a comment. If you have a question, please send them to the truth talks podcast at gmail.com. Visit our Instagram and Twitter at the truth talks podcast and visit our website at bellcroftbiblechurch.org. Delighting in the word that we might walk in the truth ministry of Bellcroft Bible Church.